0: This morning, we start a brand new series called God Cares, and we as a church took a look around as to what's going on all around us, and we realized, and we wanted to point you to the fact that God cares about all of it. So today, I'm going to talk to you about race. It was Larry's turn, but he said, no, you do it. I'm totally kidding. And as I I speak about race, by the way, I'm totally kidding. I was up... It was our turn. I wanted to speak about this, and it's important to to me and to my heart. And as I speak about this, I want us to keep a couple of things in mind. The first thing is that whatever you disagree with from me, I'm I'm going to point you to God's Word. But I want you to have that same amazing grace that we just sang about. I want you to have that for me, and I want you to have it as we go through this topic. That same amazing grace that saved a wretch like me, that keeps no record of wrongs, I want us to have that in our minds and in our hearts and in our lips. The second thing I want you to ask yourself this morning, I want to start this by asking you a really important question or questions. What would bother you more, to be called a racist and know that you're not, or to be a racist and not know it, what would bother you more? See, the, the answer to that question reveals your heart, but it also gives you, as you contemplate this question, it also gives you an open mind. You know, the, the topic of race is a, is a complicated one. It doesn't have to be, especially if we take scriptures like Titus 2.11 that says that God has revealed His grace to save the whole human race. Other translations say all men, others say all people. The point is that God has never made a person that he doesn't love. He's never made a person that he doesn't want in heaven. He's never made a person that he doesn't have a purpose for. And he's never made a person that Jesus didn't come to die for. He loves every color, every culture, every background, because it was his idea in the first place. And if we let our thoughts with this amazing grace, when we would read Titus 2.11, we would say, yeah, I get it, case closed, class dismissed, let's all go home right now. But it's not that simple, is it? It's a little bit more complicated because every time there's an injustice to the black community or any other minority, there's always a yeah, but. You know, George Floyd was killed. Yeah, we know that, but he was a bad man or he had drugs in his system, or he's been in and out of jail. You know, that amazing grace that we just sang about, that saved the wretch like me, could save a man like George Floyd. And here's the other side of that. He could save that cop that killed him, too. Yeah, but... This is where it starts getting a little uncomfortable, because there's a lot of yeah, buts. So that's why we need to have this amazing grace in our minds, in our hearts, and our lips. See, racial reconciliation is, is not an easy topic. It's not a minor thing. It's one of the things, again, that Jesus came to die on the cross for. And how we treat each other matters deeply to God. And I think we would all agree that our nation right now is in desperate need of healing. And as a church, we can't be silent. And as we see racial tensions increase, one thing we're not going to do is just, you know, shuffle it off to the side, even if it makes us a little uncomfortable. You know, anytime you talk about race, I'll be the first one to admit that there's no easy answers, and it's easy to get it wrong. So that's why I ask for that race as I share from God's word and as I share my experiences. But I want to let you know that I want to remain a listener, too, So, if you have any suggestions, if you want to have a discussion with me, I'm open to having that discussion. Because I can tell you from personal experience that there are several levels of racism. I made a list for us so that it could guide us through our discussion. And unfortunately, I've encountered all of them. You know, the majority of people that I've met are not blatant racist. So, you have at the beginning of this list, you have people who are just racist. You know, those are people who believe that the race is better than others. Those who actually hate other races, you know, they bully or discriminate against another race. In fact, I I still remember the first time that I was told, not directly, but indirectly, because they told my family, to go back to where you came from. And I don't remember grasping that as a child, I just remember that it was hurtful. And now, unfortunately, that wasn't the only time that I heard that, Uh, and frankly, I haven't heard that in a long time but now if I hear that, I'm like, go back to where you came from. Like, you know, I'd love to go back to your Belinda. It's really nice there. It's comfortable. So that's at the top of the list. We have racist people. I think we all know what that means, and I don't know. I don't know a lot of racist people. But then comes bigots. Not much better than racists. They're still bad. Bigots don't necessarily bully or discriminate you know, a bigot is someone who believes in stereotypes about particular races, and then they belittle other people. You know, they still think that they're better than you. They're, they're not out there discriminating, but they don't mind telling a joke or two and laughing at another race's expense. You know, bigots are people who have no problem calling you names like Wetback or Spick or knowing that your name is Carlos call you Pedro anyway because they think it's funny. You know, more than once I've been part of conversations where people say, you know, those Mexicans over there or those workers that are Mexican, and if I know the person, I ask them, how do you know they're Mexican? And which they replied, well, they speak Spanish. And I say, well, you know, there's another 20 countries that speak Spanish. Well, to which they respond, well, you know what I mean. Like, no, I, re- I really don't know what you mean. Now you tell me, are they bigots or... I don't mean to make you uncomfortable. That's just the stuff we... Have to talk about. Next in line are Dodgers. Now, Dodgers are not alley Dodgers. They're not the baseball team. A Dodger is someone who says, you know, I'm not a racist, I'm not a bigot, I'm just uncomfortable around, around other people that are not like me. So I'm just going to dodge them. I'm going to just get the heck out of Dodge. And, and I've certainly had my experience of Dodgers. You know, some of those folks are people that may not give you a promotion because they don't understand your culture. They don't understand how you are. So they rather just not deal with it. Not necessarily racist, but there's a fine line between racist and Dodger. But they're not blatantly racist, but they definitely will judge you by their actions. And, folks, you have to know that I'm not overly sensitive to race. I have yet to call somebody a racist to, uh, I, because I grew up with it all my life. But when you get to be my age, you start to discern and you start to understand when you make someone uncomfortable just by your very presence and who you are. So I can tell by experience. And it's hurtful. It's hurtful to minorities to have to deal with people that treat you differently because of the way you are, even if it's not blatant. But you know what's even more hurtful than it happening to me? It's when it happens to my kids. You know, I thought that we lived in a society today that was was much better off than when I grew up, but the reality is that we don't. We're still facing, it's not everywhere, but it's out there enough to know that my kids have had those experiences and I'm not going to share my kids' experiences. There's been several, some of them recently, because they're not mine to share, but if you want, you can go ask them. The point is that it's, it's, it's even more hurtful when it happens to your children. There's a fourth level. It's insensitive people. Somebody who is insensitive to the hurts of others, you're not dodging them. You may have even have a friend and you say, well, my friend is black or my friend is Hispanic, but, but you're not sensitive to might be hurting them at the time as if you get to decide what hurts people. I mean, nobody gets to tell you what hurts you. That means you don't get to tell others what hurts you. As an example, husbands, if your wife comes to you and tells you, hey, that hurt my feelings, or I'm hurt by that, the wrong response would be to say, yeah, but, or to say, well, it shouldn't. Because anyone who's been married long enough knows that if your wife comes and tells you, that hurt me, Any response other than acknowledging your feelings would start World War III, correct? You don't get to decide what hurts other people. Next in line are indifferent people, probably where most people are. They say, I'm not a bigot, I'm not a racist, I'm not a dodger. I try to be sensitive, but I just don't care about this whole ratio because it doesn't affect you. I mean, some people may even call this white privilege. But folks, I don't even like that term white privilege because it further perpetuates the divide. But then they say, you know, I really don't care about this whole race thing. Well, I'm sorry. You have to care. If you claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ, you have to care about justice and mercy and fairness and love and reconciliation in the world. You can't just say, I don't care, because it doesn't affect you. So look at that list. Where are you on that list? And maybe you can't identify with any of these, which is great. But now, take it a step further. Ask somebody you know well. Ask somebody who loves you and is not afraid to tell you the truth. Ask them, where do you see me on that list? Because you have to be open to the fact that somebody may say, you're not as far on the list as you think you are. Now, let's look at what the Bible says. God makes it very clear in Second Chronicles 19 that the Lord our God does not tolerate the Lord our God does not tolerate perverted justice, partiality, or the taking of bribes. So we're going to take taking a bribes off the list. We all know that's wrong. Case closed. We're not talking about that today. We're going to start with perverted justice. And the word justice and righteousness are the same word in the Bible. To be righteous is to be just. Fairness means fairness to all. So if you're only being fair to a few, that means it's not true fairness. And God hates injustice. He hates perverted justice, yet it's all around us. It happens still today to black Americans, Hispanics, Asians, and frankly, talk to any minority group and they will tell you. Because anybody who's paying attention can see that this is still happening today. Again, it's not everywhere. It's not everyone. But it's a definite issue. And the Bible says that God will not tolerate it. And then it says that God does not tolerate partiality. You know, the word partiality is just an old English word for the word racism. It is an old English word for prejudice. Partiality means that you treat one group of people better than another group of people, which is prejudice, which is favoritism. And God says he doesn't tolerate that either. Now, in the book of Acts, chapter 10, we read the story of a disciple by the name of Peter. Now, Peter is a Jew, And we read that he had an encounter with this guy named Cornelius, who was a Gentile. And at that time, Jews and Gentiles did not associate with each other. In fact, it was against the law. And I won't tell you the whole story, but through a series of dreams and through a series of interaction, Peter comes to the conclusion in Acts chapter 10, verse 34, and he says, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts men from Every nation. You see, before then, the Jews thought that salvation was only for them. So the Jews, it took them a while to come to terms with the fact that it wasn't just for them, that it was not for the Gentiles. So they were having all these questions, and they said, okay, the Jews said, we get it. They could be saved. And then they had their yeah, but moment. Yeah, but, okay, we want them to be circumcised, and we want them to start obeying the law of Moses. In other words, you have to do it my way, and I think this is probably where we get caught up as a society, especially in America, where we think things have to be, are okay as long as you do it my way. You want to come into this country? You have to do it this way. So they were having this issue, and then again, I'm sparing you this long story. I'm going from chapter 10 to 15, and it says... Through all of these meetings, the apostles and the elders met to consider the question, and here was their conclusion in chapter 15. It says, God, speaking of God, he did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through that amazing grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. Think about the scripture. Next time you think something is okay, as long as it's done your way, ask yourself, am I forcing this yoke? Am I forcing this load that maybe you're not even to bear yourself? God does not tolerate racial prejudice. And if you think about it, it's actually quite simple because if he did, that means it would question all of his creation. God made us all the same. He 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 made everybody to look different. He could have made everybody to look like me, and you guys would have been, been like, Yeah, that's awesome, but he didn't. He loves variety, he loves diversity, he loves different races. Let me ask you, what color is the outside of your house? What color is the inside of your house? What color is your furniture? What color are your cabinets? Is it all white? Is it all black? No, you love color too. If and when you show racial partiality, you are basically saying, God, you made a mistake in creating so many different people. You should have made everybody to look like me. Thank you. Here's what the Bible says in Acts 17. From one man, speaking of Adam, God made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth. You didn't choose your race. I didn't choose my my race. I didn't choose where I was born. You didn't choose your parents, your background, your culture. God did that. And he wants you to be you, and he wants me to be me. In fact, I don't really understand why it's a source of pride where you're from. I was born in Mexico. I didn't have a choice. You were born somewhere else. You didn't have a choice either. Why is it a choice of pride where you're from? In fact, you take it a step further, people find out. Where are you from? California? Oh, okay, we're in California. You're Belinda. Oh, is it Kerrigan Ranch? Is it Hidden Hills? I mean, is it East Lake? I'm like, oh, yeah, I live by the lake. Is it on the lake? I'm like, you know, I just live in my house. It doesn't say anything about our character, where we're from. And when someone's either insensitive or indifferent, They tend to be down on things they don't understand. And when you don't know something about a group, you tend to be down on it. And the less you know about it, the more prejudicial you will be. But the opposite is also true. The wiser you become, the more unprejudiced you're going to be, because that is a mark of wisdom. In fact, I love how James puts it. He says, but wisdom that comes from heaven is, first of all, pure Peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial, there's that word again, and sincere. In other words, wisdom comes from God. And when I see this list, and I, and I have to deal with anybody else that's different from me, and I have to put this list into perspective, it's really hard, which is why it can only come from God. We need God's help in all of this. I mean, you can get knowledge out of a book, but true wisdom can only come from God. And it says that it is peaceful. That means it does not incite riots. Yeah, but, no. Anytime you are creating conflict, it's foolish because wisdom is peaceful. Anytime you're being gentle, you're being wise. Anytime you're being rough or a bully, you're not being wise because wisdom is considerate. The more compassionate you are, the more wise you're going to be. And the more wise you are, the more compassionate you're going to be. Because wisdom is full of mercy. Knowledge is what shows up on a test. Wisdom shows up in your relationships. So you want to be sensitive and not indifferent? Strive to have these in your relationships. No matter who they are, that you would be peace-loving considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. I mean, folks, you guys know the golden rule. We've talked about it up here several times, the great commandment, love your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. In fact, that statement is mentioned eight times in the New Testament. And one of those times, Paul puts it this way in Galatians. He says, for the entire law is fulfilled in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Let me tell you why I picked this one, because he goes on to say, if you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. Does that sound like what's happening today? We're seeing that happen today in our culture, in our nation. We're destroying ourselves because we're not loving neighbors. And if we tell each other, and if you don't view things the way I see them, then you're the problem because you have to do it my way. Now, what's interesting about this is that Jesus said that the most important thing is love your neighbor as yourself, is that the Pharisees were always looking to get out of loving somebody. And one time, one of the Pharisees asked, you know, the Lord, who is my neighbor? Because he says, love your neighbor. And Jesus responds with a very famous story. You guys know the story. You've heard it several times. is the, the story of the Good Samaritan. And it's about this guy who is beaten and robbed, and along comes another guy. He was a Samaritan, and he helps him out. I mean, he doesn't know this guy from Adam. He's a total stranger. Again, the interesting thing is that at this time, the Samaritans were the hated minority. So when they ask Jesus, who's my neighbor? He makes the hero of the story the hated, despised minority so the person that god is asking you to love in other words your neighbor is the despised hated minority and folks it is our human nature to judge a book by its cover in fact studies show that we make an assessment we make we form an opinion about someone within the first 30 seconds of the time we meet them and we tend to keep that impression It's based on the way they talk, what they look, what they wear, what they drive, their position at work. I mean, a whole bunch of things, but it's all based on outward appearance. And of course, we could be totally off, but we do it all the time. However, James too says that if you treat people according to their outward appearance, you are guilty of sin and God's law condemns you as a lawbreaker. I don't think anyone listening to me today really struggles with being a racist, to be honest with you, at least not at this church. Perhaps we may relate to being indifferent or insensitive, and I will confess, be the first one to say, I've been a bigot in the past. But in either case, wouldn't you want to root out any ounce of prejudice inside of our bodies so that's not an issue for us, even if it's just the slightest? There's a way to do that. You guys remember at the top of the list, we had racist, bigots, dodgers, insensitive, and indifferent people. Well, there's a positive side to that as well. And that's where you start being sensitive, where you're really kind and inclusive to people, no matter who they are. When you see an immigrant or somebody who has difficulty with the language or somebody who has a different skin color, you try to be fair, you try to be kind, you try to be inclusive, and you say, yeah, but they're illegal, or yeah, but they're breaking the law. It doesn't matter. Remember, grace makes you sensitive. Wisdom gives you understanding. You try to say things that are not going to hurt people. But I think the one thing that God wants from all of us the most is that we would be a reconciler. A reconciler is somebody who's actively trying to bridge, I mean, to build bridges, especially between races. See, God has given all of us the ministry of reconciliation in a society that is more torn apart, pulled apart, polarized, demonized, and distracted, more divided than ever before. And if anybody should be a peacemaker, Don't you think they ought to be God's people? Jesus himself said, blessed are the peacemakers, because they will be called the children of God. Now, some people think that, you know, let's just go out and make some laws and change all of this, as if a law is going to change the heart. Let's go defund the police. It's going to change people's hearts. Laws aren't going to change a bigot into a lover. The government, unfortunately, is not going to fully solve this problem because the problem of racism is a heart issue. It is not a skin issue. It is a sin issue. The good news is that we Christians know that God can change people from the inside out. And when Christ's love comes into your heart, it just changes you. And we have that. And we have that to give. The only ones that can solve racism is the church. That means you. You are the church. Because you are in the business of changing lives through the power of Jesus. And just like John Newton, God can turn a bigot into a lover. So the next time you are confronted with the topic of race, or the controversial things that surround it, why don't you let people come in contact with the resurrected power of Christ within you? Let me tell you what that looks like. It looks like you start to treat people the way that God would. It starts with the way you look at people. And this is a difficult thing because we don't agree with everyone, so you say, God, help me. You see, we need God's help in this. It's not natural for us. We have to come before God and ask for his help. This is why the Bible says in 1 Samuel, the Lord does not look at the thing man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Remember that we naturally make snap judgments based on outward appearance. So we have to retrain ourselves and remind ourselves not to make conclusions based on outward appearance, and we need to seek God for that help. Remember that our skin, our pigmentation, you guys know that it's only a sixteenth of an inch thick? So it starts with seeing people as God does. And then we start to listen to people with respect. The word prejudice comes from the word prejudge. When you prejudge somebody... Without listening to them, you are prejudiced. And again, this doesn't mean that you agree with them. But listen to what Proverbs says about this. It says, "Listen before you answer. If you don't, you are being stupid and insulting." What a translation! It makes it. It sounds really harsh, but it's pretty clear. But I also like what James says in, in chapter one: Everyone must be quick to listen, but slow to speak, and slow to become angry. I mean, we can at least all agree that you listen more, you learn more by listening than by talking. And when you get angry, that just further blocks listening. So as a reconciler of the world, as a representative of God, as an agent of Jesus Christ, start to listen to people's hurts instead of their words. I mean, you've heard the term hurt people hurt people. So if you listen to their hurt, you may understand what is behind the hurt and angry words. And guess what? You might become more sympathetic, which is not a bad thing. First Peter makes it clear, show proper respect to everyone. It doesn't say only the ones that agree with you or only the ones in your political party. It says everyone. You don't have to agree with them, but you show respect for everybody. So as I close... I want to take us back to the Word of God in John chapter 15. It says, My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. And ask yourself how God has loved you, unconditionally, freely, completely, and continually. And the church, with a capital C, and specifically this church, should be the model we're supposed to model what it means to get along. We're supposed to be the model of harmony and unity and fellowship and reconciliation on how people from different backgrounds can get together and actually love each other. In fact, we do it all the time. I don't know if you notice, noticed, but there's a lot of different backgrounds here, and we speak different languages. Folks, my primary identity is not that I'm brown or that I'm Mexican. My primary identity is that I am first a child of God. And you are too. Jesus gave us a symbol. It's called communion. Communion, or some people may call it the Lord's Supper, is one of the two symbols that God gave us as a symbol of unity with God and remembrance of him. But it's also a symbol of unity with the family of God that's why they call it communion because it's done in community and it says that we're all together so i like to close this service by partaking of communion by remembering god himself but by also bringing us together that shows unity that we are united in loving others and i'm going to give i'm going to pray in a moment and then we're going to take communion after the prayer just to give people at home a chance to go out and get the elements. All you, all you really need is either crackers or bread and some juice or whatever liquid you have so that you can join in, in communion with us. And so I'm going to pray and right after that we'll partake in communion. For those of you, you guys might want to start getting ready right under your, your chairs. There's this little disinfected thing here that has, a, has a, some juice and it has a wafer at the top of it. So it has two ways to open it. And if you don't feel comfortable doing that, it's okay. We don't want to want you to feel compelled to it, but if you want to join us, then um, feel free to pick this up. And as we do that, will you bow in prayer with me? Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for your word. Lord, and once again, we come together as a body of believers in unity, and we ask that, Lord, that you would heal our land. Father, that all of us would commit to be reconcilers, that we would use the power within us in the powerful name of Jesus to start being bridge builders, sensitive listeners to other people's hurts. Lord, that you would bring about change, not only starting with this church, but that you would use this church to continue to just extend that same embrace, Father, within these walls and outside of these walls and into the world, and that we would come to the table with open hearts. Lord, we thank you for your word, and, and Lord, this is, this is difficult for, for us. So we ask for courage and perseverance as we endeavor to make a change in this area of loving others regardless of who they are. Lord, as we partake of communion, We first come before you, and we ask for forgiveness for all the wrongs. And I want you to take these next few seconds between you and God and just ask for specific forgiveness. So do this now in silence between you and God.